0: I want to welcome you to the garden. This is our celebration gathering where we come to uh, worship the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's why we're at this bar on a Sunday morning. So welcome. If you are new, there's a connect card in the back. We'd love to have you fill it out, let you know what's happening. If you're checking us out, I just want to let you know kind of what we are about. We believe as, as followers of Jesus, we're called to follow Him with our entire lives, not just our Sunday mornings. So this is just one aspect of what it means to be the church. We come together to sing songs, to worship through prayer, um, through teaching, through communion, through giving, all of that stuff. But we really want to invite you to journey with us to help repair this city, help renew our neighborhoods, and to bring Jesus to, um, to the pla- this place called Long Beach. So that's what we're about. So we'd love to, to get you plugged into a community group serve with us at our community garden or any of the missional initiatives we have throughout the city. Um, we are going to continue to worship after the message. There will be a couple of songs where you can respond. Um, there's an area over here where you can get prayer and take communion. And same in the cross. There's a cross in the back. You can do that as well in the back. Um, a couple of announcements before we continue, and I invite our guest speaker up today. Um, We have uh, a couple of things going on next week. Habitat for for Humanity. We're going to be building homes in Long Beach. So if you are good with building homes, whatever that takes, I don't know. But um, if you have tools, that's probably you. Um, Or if you just want to help and hang out, that's August 11th uh, from 8 to 3. And we'd love to have you come join us. You can sign up on the website at um, thegardenlb.org. Also, next Sunday, right after the 11 o'clock service, we're having a barbecue and potluck. Love for you guys to see our actual community garden it's right down the street on 5th and Cerritos there's more information on the website but it's really cool it's a 7,000 square foot piece of property that we were, we were given and we've turned it into a community garden and kind of a community area so we'd love to have you join us and see what we've been doing in that particular neighborhood and finally uh, third Wednesday is August 15th every third Wednesday we get together as a church and we just pray and worship we, we don't only just pray with the garden we also pray and worship with Long Beach Christian Fellowship, which is an, another church in the city near the 405. So, put those on your calendar. Please join us um, and be a part of what it means to be family here. One quick update uh, before I pray. Uh, we've been talking about this, I, this. There's some stuff in the back that we talked about. We're looking for a new building, for a new space. And um, I just want to invite you to continue to think and pray and give towards this new facility we're looking for. Um, This week in particular could be a great week for us where we might be able to find a a new location really close to downtown and hopefully sign a lease in the coming months. So we are moving pretty fast and we love your support and prayer. If you want more information, it's on the website, but we're just calling people to give above and beyond to whatever's next for the garden outside of the Cohiba nightclub. Cool? All All right, great, that's a lot of information. Um, I'm going to introduce Chris and then pray. This is, uh, Chris, you can sit there for a moment. I'm going to share some stories. I've, I've inv- it's kind of weird. I, I'm, it's like, I've, if you're married, you get this story. Do you remember the first time you brought your parents over for dinner when you got married? Does anyone know that experience when you invite your dad over and it's your house, it's your first apartment, it's your first, your, your, your wife's cooking, so... Okay, maybe this is the only experience I've had. Does anyone, anyone relate to this story? Okay, three of us. Okay, a couple more. So I feel kind of like this. Chris is has been a fatherly figure in my life since we started the garden, actually before the garden. He's been a mentor walking with me, really walking with our church when it was uh, just a dream and an idea. And he's been, um, him and his wife, Meryl, have been dear friends to Alex and I and our elders. They've helped kind of speak into the life of our church. What are the belief systems we have? Why do we do what we do? What's the biblical story we have with our church? And he um, led a, He planted a church when he was 24 with his wife in South Africa and um, led that for 14 years, passed it off, came to America, the U.S., and led a church for uh, 14 years in Brea. And about two years ago, I'm getting this right, he passed, this off, passed off that church called Southlands, which is on our website. It's a, a dear friend. Um, who's leading that now, Alan Fra. And he passed it off to kind of step into uh, whatever's next for his life. It was a big risk. And he's just journeying right now as he travels literally the world to uh, meet and encourage and instruct churches from around the world, Middle East, Africa, all over North America. He's in Asia and the UK. He's literally traveling. His schedule's in Australia. Ridiculous. But um, he's a a, a close friend of mine. And I, I just thought, Um, I wanted to have him come, but we were talking the other day and and I was sharing with him that we're going to do this talk on hospitality because we're doing the spiritual disciplines um, um, discussion here on Sundays. And I thought, man, this would be a great opportunity to have him come share because when our elders and our early leadership team met with his church, we were confronted by people that knew how to welcome and love people really well. They just had this hospitable gift about them. They just welcomed us. They knew our names. They invited us into their homes. They journeyed together in a way that is so countercultural to American individualism. I just thought he's got to speak. Just tell us stories. Do whatever you want. Just come and be with us. So this is Chris. Chris coming up. Let me pray for you. Um, can you guys welcome Chris? <laughs> Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you um, for the gift of friendship and this community. We pray, Lord, that you would um, speak through Chris, that you'd anoint his words and allow us to uh, hear whatever he has for us. I pray, Spirit, that you would give us freedom today um, to receive in your name. Amen.
1: Thank you so much. That's a very good introduction to remember all those bits and pieces. Hi, everyone. I'm so sorry Meryl's not here. She's in Perth. Australia, our eldest daughter and her husband lead a church in Perth, and uh, we had a delightful moment on uh, Wednesday when I called the airline just to say, have you got a gluten-free meal for my wife? She's flying on August the 3rd. They said, "Um, Mrs. Vinhant, yeah, uh, she's flying on the 1st. She's flying out tomorrow. I said, no, no, uh, she's flying out the 3rd. They said, no, the 3rd has been canceled. She's flying out the 1st. So we had 24 hours of scramble to get Meryl on a plane, and I got some delightful pictures of her in her absolute best, with her three grandkids all over her, all around her, my daughter with the Cheshire smile this big, and um, the community they lead in Perth that uh, love Meryl, love me too, but, um, so I'm sorry Meryl's not here, in fact, she would be the one that really should give this talk, because it's been our journey. Um, it is with a father's heart that I want to speak this morning. So what I would love to do, which is impossible, is to ask you to come and sit around my dining room table and uh, just to tell a few stories. And hear some of the great things that God does in the simplicity of eating together. Um, but can I just say, if you are a visitor here this morning or you're looking to see where you can find a spiritual home, this is a good place. And I'll tell you why. When you look for a church, you don't look for convenience, you don't look for the coolest, hippest spot. This is what you look for. You look, number one, for a community where the word of God is honored and revered, and it has a high value. I am astounded, honestly, face-to-face, man-to-man, how pragmatic the American church is. The Bible is an optional extra. But the Bible isn't. The Bible actually is the very central core guiding value that God has gifted us with. It's a I was in the army when I um, graduated from college. I had to as a South African. And I spent some time in the operational area fighting in, um, in Angola and so on. And the and I used to write each other's letters because that was the way we communicate. And we've kept them. And uh, when our kids have the opportunity to read them, They read them with such interest because it opens up a part of Dad and Mom's story that they don't really know. That's what this is. It opens up part of God's story that we don't know. And it's this incredible vestige of empowerment that uh, God has given to us. Look for a church where the Bible is revered and honored and appreciated. Look for a Bible where they at least a church where they love Jesus more than they love you. That may sound strange. I was supposed to watch my son play soccer at an a, um, all of last weekend. And Todd called me from Rock Harbour on Thursday. He said, listen, bro. He said, something's happened. Can you do Saturday night and Sunday morning? And I said to my boy, listen, buddy, I'm going to be there the whole weekend. We travel a lot. When I get a chance to come and watch the whole weekend, I'm in. So I said, I'll do it, Todd. So I called my boy in. And, and I said to the congregation at Rock Harbour last Sunday, I said, the greatest gift we can give our kids is that we love Jesus more than we love them. Well, I could just about have put an atom bomb in the room. It's like, you what? I said, absolutely. The greatest gift I give my kids is that I love Jesus more than I love them. If I don't allow them to see that, what happens is they think they're the center of the universe. And the rest of their lives, they collide with God because they want to be God because I made them God. I made my whole family world spin around my kids and they get divorced and they live unhappy marriages and they raise up grumpy kids and they change job after job after job because I told them they're God. So look for a church where they love Jesus more than they love you. 30, look for a church where there really is a sense of community fun. It's real, honest, Men and women on a discovery of spirituality, a discovery of redemption and salvation, uh, where there's no fanfare, this isn't the foofy hair, the kind of, uh, we're not too sure who you are, but boy, you look good. Now, this is a story of ordinary men and women who are discovering a God journey together. And the garden gives you those three key components. And the fourth one, which is essential, is a leadership who knows where God has taken them, but with humility takes you on that journey. Now, those are the four criteria, and I want to encourage you. And if you look and you say, Chris, thank you, that's so helpful, but the garden isn't where that exists, well, keep looking. Don't go to the church with the best programs or the coolest facilities or the, 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 the kind of most charismatic leader, because they will disappoint but when you're with ordinary men and women who are living out a great gospel adventure because God is great, and they honest about their stumbles, their failings, their falterings, boy, that's a place to be. Loving the Scripture, loving God, engaged with honesty with each other, and uh, a and, uh, leadership that will take you there with all humility. And I think that's here. So I'm speaking to you, but inadvertently applauding the garden for the journey that you're on. When Solomon built the temple... It said he took four years to lay the foundations and seven years to put up the rest of the structure. Well, you know why. He had all the help he needed. But that's a helpful little guideline. The first four years of a church plant is establishing foundations. It's a little bit like what you put into your kid for the first seven years will define the rest of their lives. Meryl and I still joke because we're from two very culturally different worlds. And uh, how the first seven years of her life differed from mine. My father was a tough, robust Dutch German. Time was by the second. So the first day I took Meryl out on a date, I would pick her up at seven o'clock, and I had my flowers there, and I looked and I watched till the second hand ticked to twelve. At the top of the hour, I knocked on the door because I was taught that. 7 o'clock means 7 o'clock. And if it's not 7 o'clock, you dishonor the person. You're lying to them. Well, Meryl was born in Zambia, Central Africa. Time is not governed by the watch, but by the mood. So 7 o'clock has a mood factor to it. All you Latinos, you know what I'm talking about. It's a mood, it's feel, it's affection. Time isn't a currency of a clock. It is an ambience of relationships. Uh, In Africa, they will miss the taxi or even a plane. If you're in the middle of a conversation, the conversation is more important than the time. So you can imagine my Germanic world meeting Meryl's African world. It was a fun journey. And so you are in the four years of establishing the culture that will define this church for the rest, or certainly for the next 20 years. And to those of you who have been scrumming down with this community, I want to applaud you. You are building well. Not perfectly, but well. It is, the first four years are absolutely pivotal. It's where we, com- we put in a commitment, uh, a radicalism, a generosity, an enthusiasm, a God-loving, sacrificial expression of Christianity. So that when people step into the space, they get a picture of who God is. I'm so honored to talk to you today about hospitality. Why? Not because I have a bunch of cool philosophical ideas or I have a book or a DVD to sell you. It's just our story. Meryl and I came to faith in the 70s. We lived in communal houses. We did life around dining room tables. I was an ordinary suburban kid who loved my sport, loved my beers, and just did whatever suburban kids do, and God took me out of that, saved me into an urban community, um, and uh, we did life together. And although it wasn't ultimately a great church experience, that seed was put into my heart. When I was 24, I was a school teacher. Merrill was still at college at 21, we started our first church. Now, what we knew was that the future of community life was around the dining room table. And so, again, we lived in communal houses. We, 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 in fact, the church, which is now 30 years old, and probably knocking on the door of 3,000, has planted over 60 churches, is still truly governed and fashioned by dining room table Christianity because that's how we authored it. I was just driving here this morning, mulling over it, thinking of the moments we had sitting on the, on the kitchen counters of um, the communal house we lived in and how we fashioned a church. And we were young and we were naive and we were innocent and we thought we knew so much, but in fact we knew so little. Now we know we know so little, um, but then we, we, we thought we had this whole thing down. And uh, hospitality, and I love the way, Darren, you framed it as a spiritual discipline. Because it isn't entertainment. Entertainment is the pressure to perform. It's when all the cutlery is lined up and the glasses are well presented and the cut glass with true royal tradition has been wiped one more time and everything is perfect and square and the plate is well positioned. With, if there is a label, it's at the top at 12 o'clock on the plate and you work from the outside in. And I love those moments. It's fun to have them. It's good to kind of do the black tie affair and to dress up and to just feel just that little bit more magnificent. I know in, in our lives we need to have the little, little black dress moment. You know what I'm talking about? Just that elegant evening where everything's just a little sharper and a little more intentional. And Meryl and I look at each other and even though we've been married 32 years, there's still that, the, the palette. I mean, the hands get sweaty just a little again, and the heart's pounding just a little again. It's, boy, am I waiting to get home again still. You know, those are cool moments. I mean, those are cool moments. But what we are talking about here is something more sublime, so ordinary. It's ridiculously simple, and yet it is captivating. So grab your Bibles with me, if you don't mind, and let's go to the book of John. It's the fourth gospel in uh, the four-part series, the God story in Jesus. And um, I want to just take you through a couple of texts, tell you a few stories, and hopefully the Spirit of God will just delight you with what God can do with ordinary men and women who embrace this great hospitality Peace. John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, Nathanael from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Jebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. God is so kind, he gave them an empty hand. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat. And you will find some. When they did, they they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John speaking about himself. When the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. For he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Isn't that crazy? I mean, like, really, do we need to know how many fish were in the net? It's pretty cool that the Holy Spirit says, nah, let's give them some detail. What the heck, you know? I mean, and so even with so many, the, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time, he said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself And went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. Remarkable passage. It's remarkable from a number of points of view. When we trace the life of Jesus, the thing that is captivating is how much of what he did, he did around food. So much of what the Western church does is around programs. So you kind of think, well, hang on. Can we we kind of fast forward a little? Can we just go back to the beginning a little bit and rediscover why was there so much power? Why was there so much spiritual freedom brought out while they ate together? There is something disengaging about us eating. They say never go on your first date and have pasta. Because it will indicate the grubbiness, the messiness, the... Greasiness. Just order something like a good sea tuna on salad and you are safe. What Jesus does here is he opens up to us both methodologically, in other words, how to do it, and then he takes a case study and he reinstates Peter. Hospitality, dear friends, is the great gospel vehicle to see men and women's lives change. I love the celebration gathering like this. I really do. I love worshiping together. It is the privilege that almost every Sunday we're in another church somewhere in the world, and it's great to have different worship styles and meet different people and different spiritual journeys. But there is something profoundly simple by drawing people into your world. You see, entertainment is the pressure to perform. Hospitality is drawing people into your story. Jesus draws Peter into his story. What happened with Peter? Well, two things that was sublime. The first is he denounced Jesus. I don't know who that blankety, blankety, blank man is. Three times. And then he does the second thing. He disobeys him. He goes back to his old life. Now sometimes when we look at the notion of denouncing him and of disobeying him, you think Jesus is going to pull out the big whip and lash him. Just beat him to shreds saying, you are the rock and look at you now. The rock has become the reed again, just caught up by the currents of a little servant girl and by hiding yourself in your history one more time. See, God understands that. God understands how in our vulnerability we tend to hide ourselves in our history again. We tend to go back to the things we know and are comfortable with even if they are sinful ways. Now fishing is not sinful. But I think God very sneakily pushed every fish away from the net. I think he gave the, 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 the ocean angel. I don't know. He said, "Now just go and dive in there and keep the fish clear. Don't let them go near the net. Keep them away. And so they come up empty-handed because God wants him to know that there is this incredible story of restoration. And then Jesus puts a fish on the fire. And he says, come in Now, I don't know what that... Does for you. But in my mind, Peter is so excited, he is the first response guy. He is the guy who steps out, gets out the boat, and starts running through the water. It's a hundred yards to the edge, and as he gets there, he thinks, What on earth am I doing? That's the guy I denied, and that's the guy I've disobeyed, and now I'm hitting the water first. And I think what he did is he slid to the edge of where the disciples were sitting with his head down. Isn't that the way we feel when we sin? You know if you blew it last night. Really, does the person who slept with his girlfriend walk to the front and stand like this in worship on a Sunday morning? Do you? Of course you don't. Hands in the pocket, head down a little bit, trying to act cool, but actually saying, I hope Jesus doesn't see me. I hope he doesn't get me. Because shame and nakedness always accompany sin. And so what Jesus does is he just feeds him, doesn't say a thing. And as the meal runs down, he turns to him and he says, do you love me? Now, you know what I love about this story is he asks him three times. Why? Why does Jesus have to ask Peter three times? Is it possible that three times he denied him? Three times he said to the young servant girl, I don't know him. And so Jesus wants the strongest affirmation. So the next time the enemy comes to him and said, Man, you denied him three times. How can you stand up here and preach? You're a hypocrite. He can look the enemy in the eye and say, Yes, I did. There's freedom in acknowledging our sin. But three times I acknowledged him before my friends, and I told him, I love you. So the enemy could never use that against him ever again. God is so clever. Hospitality is God's great gospel gift to help us to restore people. You see, it's not the currency of your home or the quality of your dining room table. We've got an old table, Meryl and I, that we bought, uh, gosh, used... When we got married. So it's about 30 years old. It's an old Oregon pine piece in South Africa. And uh, we wanted to get rid of it over the years. And our kids refuse. They absolutely refuse. And when we ask them why, it's not because it's an elegant piece. It's not because it's a particularly beautiful piece. It's fine. It's a bit cottagey. We're not really into the cottagey thing anymore. When you haven't got money, you are cottagey. You know, you go to the, the old places and you rummage around. But we're not cottagey anymore. But, and when we asked them why, they said, because so many lives were touched around this table. In Luke 5, Jesus goes and he meets Zacchaeus. And he calls Zacchaeus, and let me just make sure I have my, my, my sequence right here. He meets Levi. I just want to get it right here. He meets Levi, a businessman who's a tax collector, Luke 5, and he calls him and he says, come on, let's eat together. And the people are up in arms. How can you go and eat with a businessman, with a businessman who has connections with Rome? And Jesus says that I've not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. See, the joy, dear friends, of drawing people into our world is amazing. I met a couple yesterday at a birthday party, Friday night at a birthday party, and I'd heard some of the Southlands people talk about them. He has the deal. They live together. And they started coming to CrossFit because Southlands now is a CrossFit gym. He's a triathlete and his girlfriend, and they live together, is a, uh, does CrossFit. So through this, there's a friendship that's been developed. And many of the people have had them in their home for a meal. He invites a number of the guys to his birthday. And what the birthday is, is a beer run. In other words, you run a mile, then you down a beer. Then you run a mile, then you down a beer. Then you run a mile. Yeah, I know. I know. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The amazing thing was, of everyone who invited, only one was a friend outside of Southlands. Only one. All the rest were his new best mates. His mum was there, and his mum went and said, I've heard all about these great mates that he's got. He's never been to church. He's never been there. But you see, because he has found a safe place in the dining room tables of people in the church, he feels safe to invite them to come on a beer run. And slowly but surely he's being ushered in because our dining room tables are safe places where the gospel can be shed abroad, can be expressed through us. Levi drew Jesus in and Jesus said, I've come for the sick. A quick little honesty. Honesty. I was astounded moving here from Africa 16 years ago. How much eating happened at restaurants? Now I understand it's easier. And I understand you're comfortable living with your credit card. But there is something sublime when people enter your home. Sad story. We live in Briar. We keep our front door open intentionally. My daughter's bedroom is on the street. And she's a worship leader, songwriter, and so she's often playing up there. And we heard this belatedly, that's why it's a sad story. About five houses down, was a woman who was busy divorcing her husband, and he was beating her up. And across the street from us is where the mail gets delivered. And she would come and sit. She told us as she was leaving, she would come to the mail and pretend to be getting her mail to look in and see our dining room table and to hear my daughter worship. And every day she said, I wish I had the courage to go and knock in and say, can I just come in? She didn't know who we were. She didn't know what I did. She knew nothing about our family, but our front door was open and my daughter was playing upstairs. Another neighbor said, I would come and sit and hear your daughter play and I would just sit in my driveway and I would just know something was ministering to me, something was loving me, didn't understand the anointing, didn't understand the presence of God, but understood the life of God. Why? Because when the front door was open, the dining room table is revealed. We heard that story belatedly. Meryl and I limped with it because there was a broken woman who was getting beaten by her husband who should have been at our dining room table and we were too busy moving in to notice a broken woman who needed a dining room table to be loved. Isn't it amazing with Mary and Martha? Great story of two women who loved Jesus, loved hosting for him, but the one was preoccupied with his feet, the other was preoccupied with perfection. And Jesus shakes his head to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you've missed the point. You've missed the point, the point is not, is there food for everyone? The point is not, are there enough napkins? That's stress and pressure that distracts us from God. life. The issue is my presence in your house. My presence in your house. That's the most important thing. Can I just say too, hospitality is about the family. It's not what ma- my mom and dad do. Uh, about 10 years ago, we were hosting a conference in North County. And we had people out from Australia, Russia, South Africa, obviously some locals. And we've always communicated to our kids, having people in our home is not what dad and mom do. Quickly, quickly, tidy, tidy, tidy. Quickly, quickly, quickly. <laughs> there are toys around. Let's tidy, tidy, tidy. Come on. Up to bed, up to bed. People are coming. Two minutes, up to bed. Do you think the kids want anyone to come to our house? Did you think they were excited? Yeah. Absolutely not. There was a very special moment. We're serving. Meryl and I, the two girls, my boy was a young, he was a three or four years old at the time, and um, Meryl and I, 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 there was this moment where the Russian guy picked up a tomato, and I forgive my very bad Russian accent, but he said something to this effect, this is not a tomato in Russia. We have tomatoes. This is tasteless. And at the corner of my eye, I'm watching. And my girls are standing there with big eyes. This is a funny accent. This is a funny man. And he's saying our tomatoes tomatoes aren't tasting really good. See, the gift of hospitality not only brings redemption to those who sit at the table, but it also brings empowerment to our family as a team. It's what we do It's the gift we bring that this is a safe place. This is a joyous place. My kids still talk about that and many other stories years later because it had such a moment where the nations came into our world and sat around our table and we fed them and we loved them as a family, the awesome foursome. Dad, Mom, the girls. And we brought love into their lives because of that. Martha, you've missed the point. The point is not how many tables and... The point is Jesus is here. When Jesus had the four or five, you with me? Okay. When Jesus took the four or five thousand, he said, come on, I'm going to feed you. What was his point? What was the hospitality moment here? Well, he was showing incredible love and kindness that we know. But I think he was also trying to communicate something more sublime. All that you've got to bring to the table, what you have. People say, well, you know, Chris, we can't afford steaks. No, we're not saying that. We, you know, we can't afford. Some of the most sublime meals are toasted sandwiches made on a Sunday night where we all get together and we all butter the bread and we all put the cheese on and we have a competition who can make the tastiest sandwich. And everyone is in there, and when everyone leaves, the kitchen's a mess. But love has been communicated. There's been a moment of celebration. That's what Jesus was teaching them. Just bring what you've got you got loaves and some fishes? That will do. That will do. We'll multiply that. If I could tell you how many times we've had to lay hands on a pizza because it's got to feed more people than we thought, or a loaf of bread that we sure is not going to feed everyone that does. When we first planted out, folks, we were so poor. We were, Meryl, Meryl was at college. I was 24. We, we had no money. Everything in the house was hand-me-downs. Absolutely everything. There was nothing that was new. Not a thing. We couldn't afford it. But our dining room table had people around all the time. The furniture which my parents gave us from the family room, you know the ones with the holes in? There was always a butt on a chair. And we learned then that we can only give them what we've got. Entertainment is bring out the best. Hospitality is give them your heart. And your heart heals. Your heart restores. Your heart empowers. I've led more people to the Lord face to face around the dining room table. Sat with a guy whose wife told Merrill, this man will never come to Christ. He was a very wealthy man, insurance. He had an insurance company that looked after all the private game parks in Southern Africa. I mean, he would fly to all these places. And his wife said, Andrew will never come to salvation. That's it. So I said, invite us around for dinner. So we did. And she did it. Had the maids, the white gloves, the whole nine yards. And at a poignant part of the evening, the girl slipped off to go and get dessert or something. And I just looked. I said, Andrew, when are you giving your life to Christ? And he looked at me. And he said, I've been waiting for that question. I said, let's do it right now. And Andrew bent his knee and gave his life to Christ over a dining room table. Because it is, it is the gospel vehicle for lives to be changed. So let me land this by saying this. You don't have to have much but a heart that loves Jesus and loves people. You don't have to be a, a chef, a master chef. But to create an ambiance where a family can create a safe, secure place for people to encounter the wonderful Jesus. You don't have to be in a fancy neighborhood. You don't have to be uh, very eloquent. But love covers a multitude of sins. That's what Peter says when he speaks about hospitality. Lastly, I close. What about you today? Nice motivational talk. Hopefully it helps. A couple of pictures. What about you? Well, the thing that I'm most excited about today is the fact that some of you are laboring under the notion that, like Peter, you've shifted in your heart. You've just struggled long enough with your faith to say, I'm not so sure this is true anymore. And the moment your heart shifts, you feel naked, you feel ashamed, you think, I don't know if God will embrace or accept me. And then today's message isn't about hospitality, it's about restoration. Or Zacchaeus, who was up in a tree, when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. Insecurity, a small little guy, always on the run, always hiding, always accused by his people because he was the chief tax collector. Jesus said, come, I'm eating at your house tonight. Or maybe you're that girl who came to where Jesus was eating and washed his feet with your hair, and the perfume was an expression that he accepts me as I am. Well, then this morning is for you. And maybe it's not about hospitality and food. It's about can God really restore me? Can God really redeem me? Can God really redefine me? Can God really give me my dignity back? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. He can. It just requires a humble heart and a bent knee to say, Jesus, here I am again. Peter, do you love me? Kidding? It's a beach. It's a barbecue. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. And he closes, as do I, by saying this You will go, and people will dress you, and they will take you to where you do not want to be. I close with where I started. You may have been raised in an environment where you are God. Your family hovered around you. They chased you to ballet, to tennis, to football, to soccer. Then you went into high school and everyone ran around you. And suddenly you meet Christ and you're offended that you're not God anymore. That He is. And like Peter, he says to you, you will be dressed in ways you do not choose. And you will go to places you do not want to go to. Because the great gospel story is that God will do with us as He chooses when i bow my knee i surrender the right of ownership and i embrace his true lordship let's pray together i thank you for this glorious gospel jesus we take, as we sang earlier, on wretched men like, and women like us. Ordinary men and women with a mystery of sin burning in our hearts. And you take us and you redeem us. You take us and you forgive us. You take us and you restore us. And it's a mystery. I thank you, secondly, Lord, that you... Allow us to take this gospel and to bring it into our worlds, to put it around our table, and to see the Zacchaeuses, the insecure businessman who's been alienated from other people, restored. Jesus said, I'm going to eat at your house today, I will give you your dignity back. Martha, I will eat at your house tonight, and I will show you what's truly valuable. Young boy. I will take your loaves and fishes and I will show you that what you have is enough. And I ask this morning Lord in the sweetness of your Holy Spirit's presence in the wonder of the gospel that our hearts will firstly be restored back to you and secondly we will put our hands up and say this is a spiritual discipline. This is not a behavioral pattern. It is a spiritual discipline of letting the life of God flow through me. Remember sitting with a young girl who'd been day tracked in our lounge, Merrill and I, she wept and told her story. And the gospel healed her that night. But it was the simplicity of a glass of water and a snack, and a safe place sitting with a dad and a mom. Where Jesus gave her her womanhood back. this is a remarkable gospel in its simplicity. Let the Spirit of God complete His work
0: in you as we.